Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have another special guest with us. He's a film worker and entrepreneur. I have Steve Bax with us today. How you doing, Steve? Hey, how you doing, Cliff? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Really excited to have this what I know is going to be an insightful conversation as well. Um, so, you know, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show I, today. I am honored uh, that you got me on your show. Thank you very much. Yeah, always, always. Really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to quickly do my shout outs, as I always do to all of my listeners, all of the fans of the same show in all 60 plus countries. I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Thank you for continuing to like, share, subscribe, and, and spread the word about the same show. And if you're listening and you don't already follow us on social media, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at sane underscore show. Again, that's sane, S-A-N-E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter. And then you can find us on Facebook, The Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, that's The Sane Show. So today, we've got some really exciting topics. We're going to talk about television behind the scenes, and then we're going to talk about entertainment and social justice. Following that, we're going to have an interview with Steve, with you, Steve, so that the listeners can learn more about your background, your time in the business, and all the exciting things that go along with that as well. Let's go ahead and kick it off with our first topic, television behind the scenes. In our initial conversation, just learning more about your background and you know all the cool things that you've done, like I was just blown away because these are things that I've heard about as far as setting up a set as you you've done set dressing and also the props and then the location. But I want to start by, I guess let's talk about the location part because I want to do this in order, you know, location, set, props. So give us a little bit of insight because like my mind was just blown with all this information. So if you could talk to us a little bit about what goes into the, the process when it, we're talking about locations for our production. Basically, deep down starts with the story first. So the writer puts it down on paper and then the director has to envision where this thing is going to be seen. Not every production has the money to go and and build everything on a set. So locations is out or on a stage rather. So everything is basically done on a, if you don't have the budget, they go out and they'll find a set, a location. They send out a location scout to give them a few different options for the house or a building or a street or wherever, then it's whittled down to the final choice. And once you get to the, the final choice, then we say the, the set dressers go in, the, the carpenters go in, the painters go in, the art department goes in and, and gets it ready for the crew to come in and shoot. That process may take weeks, it may take months, for builds or for for construction and whatever, then the the crew goes in and starts doing their work. The crew being the the camera department, the the grips, the electrics, hair makeup, 
they all they have their stuff outside. But in in terms of the locations department, what I did when I was doing, I was the locations assistant. So they gave me a set. That's my set to watch and and maintain while the crew is there. The locations manager is the one who goes through all the paperwork and tells them what's going to happen and this is how long we're going to be there. And then backs, you're going to be the one when the crew comes in to make sure that they don't proverbially disrespect the location. That means not no food. Or, if somebody said there's no food or drink on the on the set, I have to be the bad guy to say, hey, put up signs, no food or drink on the set. If it's a really pristine location, hey, wear your wear foot covering so you can go in and and walk around and not scuff the floors and do do all that stuff. And then the cameras come in and then, you know, you you have 50 to 100 people in a house. Then, you know, we try to say, hey, once once everything's ready to shoot, everybody get off set, the actors, directors and camera stay on the set and then they do their work. So that's basically what locations is. Got it. So you talked a little bit about the set. Honestly, before having the conversation with you about what goes into the set, honestly, I didn't really put much thought into it. I really just thought, you know, when it comes to setting up the set, they just go into inventory and they just grab whatever, whatever looks good, obviously, you know, trying to coordinate and make sure everything looks fitting within the vision. But I just figured like it was a simple process. Just go, okay, no, let's let's find some stuff all. that works for no. what we're trying to do and put it on put it out here. Go so ahead. you have the you have, like I say, the story. It's gonna be I'm just using a house as a very simple example. You have the house. The, the carpenters and the painters and everything, they go in. If there's anything that needs to be changed, they go and do that. But that direction is given to them by the art director and the, and the production designer. And those two people, they get on, on the same page and say, we need these colors, we need these textures. And then they'll, they'll say, we need, they get a decorator, which is the third cog in the wheel, and the decorator goes out and he'll go and get all the furniture. This is basically what we want. But you go out and you get all the furniture and pick it out, put it in place. Then the production designer gets his blessing from the director. Oh, yeah, this looks great. And then they go in. The director, his main job is the direction of the story and the direction of the actors. The d- director of photography is the look on film. The production designer is what it looks like on film. So those are kind of like the main three big positions in from anything from a commercial up to a, the biggest feature film that you'll ever see. Those are the three big guys. You know, the, and then, okay, so I'm sorry. So then, then when the decorator picks out everything, how does it get on the set? That's me. That was my first job that I, I ever did in the film industry, which is a movie uh, called 29th Street in 1990. I was basically a glorified furniture mover, carpenter, plumber, electrician. You know, you have to have 
or, and you learn all those skills as a set dresser. They, they start you out very slow, moving furniture and heavy stuff around. And then the more accomplished ones are the ones that are, you know, making the mock electrical outlets and wiring fake lamps and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they say, hey, we need curtains here. Hey, Steve, will you put up some curtains here? This is where we want them. And then I do that. There was a movie called Journey to Ascend the Earth 2 with The Rock. They were called Mysterious Island. And one of my proudest moments that I really liked, we were doing a treehouse and my boss gave me a bunch of stuff and said, we need lamps made out of this stuff. And you get to use your creativity to, to, to make these lamps out of nothing coconut shells and bamboo and <laughs> and jars and you put lightning bugs in the jars and if you see it on film you're like wow so and that that's more fulfilling to me that I know that yeah I did that and when we got to the Nautilus which was the Captain Nemo ship there was stuff in there that I had my hands on that they gave me an opportunity to say hey just do it we trust you and you get to that point in set dressing and then you move up and and you have buyers buyers go in there and they pick out hundreds of of things for the decorator to pick out yeah this that that and then they take them back to the stores they they buy them keep the receipts and they take them back so it's it it is a major process what you see from everything like i said from a commercial to a feature film i sit there i look at commercials i look at stuff you know, where that location is and, okay, we're going to pick this location, but yeah, we need more foliage. So they bring fake trees in and plants and stuff like that. It's a, it's a process. And not many people know, like you said, in the beginning of of, of the segment, they don't know what, what goes into that. They just think it's there. That's very true. And the more I learn about this stuff, the more, I come to understand why it's such a process and why it sometimes is expensive because it's just a lot that, that goes into productions. All right, we're back. So, you know, I want to talk to you about entertainment and social justice, obviously in, the, in this environment that we're in now, most recently, you know, George Floyd, you know, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain, and the, the Black Lives Matter movement as well. The entertainment industry has also become an area of focus, as have many other industries as well. But we want to focus on the entertainment industry, especially looking at the industry and the question being, what are they going to do? And we, we saw following the George Floyd incident, the whole Blackout Tuesday thing, right, where everybody went silent for one day. And the ones who are actually doing something, trying to have conversations within their own organizations. Now, fast forward, something that I've been noticing is that we're seeing a lot more Black people getting promoted at a lot of these prominent companies, a lot of them whom I believe are deserving of these promotions and who probably have been jumping through hoops for the longest to try to get to where they are now. And so I I want to talk to you to get your your thoughts on everything that's happening in the industry now as it concerns uh, not only social justice, but also doing right by Black creatives. 
to be perfectly honest, I have not seen any outpouring or crying for justice for George Floyd, the Bianca Taylor, in regards to the film industry. It's not like sports where you make your money off of the, the Black athlete. They don't need us in the film industry. If, and that sounds horrible to say that. The process in itself, they can write stories with or without us. The film industry or television, it's all about distribution. You can have as many stories. We have so many stories, Black stories, white stories, Asian stories, whatever. The key to, to having your stories fulfilled is distribution. Who's going to watch it? Who's going to see it? And we don't have that power. There are no Black-owned, huge distribution outlets for stories. Tyler, you, you got Tyler Perry and Oprah. They have big production companies, but they don't own the distribution. You still have to be able to, you know, Oprah Network, yes. Because now she put everything that she wants on her network. So you have to go there to see it. But Tyler Perry still has to go to Lionsgate or to whoever is going to be able to show his stuff to the masses. Yeah, so the answer to your question, I have, you know, uh, and there's not in any given film crew and there's very few production companies or directors or producers that say, hey, I want a predominantly Black crew. As a whole, I'd say 3% of a crew and that that's reaching has is is black or minority hmm. if that if that makes any sense yeah so i can't i can't go when i get my job in in a month and be like taking the knee for <laughs> for for anything because they don't care they're not gonna they're not gonna you know I, i'll get a little more respect i i would think but it is what it is. You, know, you bring up a great point when you talk about film. Because you got me thinking about, okay, in the industry, you have different segments within entertainment. You know, you have film, you have television, you have sports. There's a large number of black athletes in sports, obviously. Then when you look at, oh, sorry, I forgot music. It's a lot of black music artists, a lot of black producers, writers, all that. And it's like, when you go down the list, sports being number one, music number two, television number three, film, it's like the the percentage gets smaller as far as, you know, black creatives and I guess in general minorities too. And because I think about television, just television and film, when I think about television, I feel like there are more black voices and even things like with Kenya Bears, the producer of Blackish, we had a show, we had an episode in the fourth season that wasn't allowed to air on ABC because they thought it was going to be too controversial. But then we have something like what's been happening this summer happen, and then they all of a sudden say, you know what, go ahead and air that instead of that's that's because they don't want to sound like they don't want to sound like the people that don't want to jump on board with what's going on. They don't want to be the last ones to be on the boat. You you see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So that's why that if the social stuff and the NBA and football, Colin Kaepernick four years ago, who was was screaming about this, didn't happen. They would not that that show that show still wouldn't have been right. What I was telling you earlier was that's that's why they they're doing it because they don't want to look like the proverbial assholes for not airing it. And that brings up the question that everybody's asking and has been asking since all of this stuff has been happening: Is it genuine? I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna say whether or not it's genuine or not. That's up to everybody's own opinions and mm-hmm. and conspiracy theories or <laughs> or, or just you know sense sense. We know we know what the world is. We know what America is. We know, and I'm I'm whittling it down. We know what the film industry is. We know what sports is. We know what, how people are. So is it political? Maybe. Is it money? Maybe. It's up to the, the people to be knowledgeable and take out of everything that's going on a positive thing. And I hope that ABC is doing it for the right reasons. When you look at somebody like Jordan Peele, he didn't want he didn't start out as a as a, com- a comic. He wanted to do horror. And then once they started giving him his voice, that's that's what it is. It's the voice. Once you get your voice, then you're able to to do what you need to do. And a lot of people don't get their voice. Whether it be black Hispanic, female, you need to get your voice out there. And you got to, and, and on another note, you have to be able to recognize the opportunity. I'm not saying that I haven't been given the opportunities. Have I recognized the opportunities? All right, we're back. Now, for the interview, I'm going to go ahead and ask you a few questions so the listeners can learn more about you, things you do, and all the things that go along with that. So my, my first question to you, people often want to excel at one thing, and it's like being on the bench and ready to come off the, come off the bench and you know, play in the game. How has your broad view of production formed by working across multiple departments increased your value to productions and your transferable skills to everything you do. And should everyone work in multiple departments at varying levels across their career? Yes, yes. Especially if you come in new, not knowing anything, the best place to start. um, I was fortunate that I was able to go in years ago, 30 years ago in the art department where the person said, hey, you, you know, I'm just going to put you anywhere. This is where, you know, I can put you. And it was in the art department. To say I would have gotten in as a production assistant slash PA, I don't know. Starting out as a production assistant, you're on set. You're touching every part of the set uh, as far as communication, 
and go going for this, going for that, seeing this. This is what the grip department does. This is what the electrical department does. And if you're insightful enough and aware enough to see what's going on, then you can you, you can learn and then you say, say, you know, then this is for people that's never been in the business or didn't go to film school or anything like that. Because film schools, they they teach you a little bit of rudimentary of every department, and you t- you know you go from writing, directing, shooting, sound, everything. You do everything, every part of the business in film school. But if you if you just come, and even when you graduate from film school, they're going to put you somewhere, and it's usually in the production assistant department, you know, part of the AD department, and you go and um, oh yeah. I want to be a camera guy. So I moved from being a, a set production assistant to a camera production assistant. And then I moved from there and go on, hey, I want to be an AD, assistant director. Then you go and you, and you have to get so many hours to be an AD. So and it takes usually three to five years to become a, a, a second, second AD, depending on how busy you are. The best possible outcome is to be on a long running series and then you get your days that way if i want to be in locations you can move from locate into locations hey i want to be a locations assistant and it just and that that's the, the the fast track to get where you want to in in the film business if you want to be a director be your director's assistant and, and learn sit by the director and or producer's assistant and learn what that man is going through and how to tell the stories and then go out and shoot your own stuff. And hopefully you're, that person will get you to where you need to go. A lot of script supervisors become directors because they have to tell the stories or wrangle the story and make sure the story is coherent and everything once it gets on screen for the editors and stuff. A lot of DPs, because they, they're shooting it, become directors. So that's that's basically the way it works with that. As many of us know that are in the industry, you know, most people working in film and television, you know, they're not many Spike Lee's, Kevin Hart's, Will Smith's, or, you know, Oprah Winfrey's. Most are working professionals, you know, acting as contractor, contract labor on individual shoots. And so if you could explain how working professionals were hard by the slowdown and uh, North Carolina production specifically, do you think the harm can be reversed and what would it take? Specifically in North Carolina, the the film industry had been harmed in a few different ways. We had in, in the United States, we have film production hubs in Wilmington, North Carolina, or North Carolina is one of the film hubs. And uh, you have tax incentives set up in each state to entice film production companies to come and shoot in your in your state. Wilmington's positives are or North Carolina positives are the crew. We have a great crew base. We have studios here. We have locations that go from mountains to cities to to beaches, which makes us a very good enticing place. But Money-wise, like Georgia has a 35% tax incentive, which means for every dollar you spend, you get 35% back on every dollar 
once everything's all said and done. North Carolina, because we were such a, a big film hub for years, we were last on the boat. And then we finally got to 25%. Then legislation over the past few years and, and the amount of money we had to give back because everybody wanted to come here, the tax incentives went away. And once that happened, then everybody was like, no, we can't do that. We have to be in from a $600 million a year business. We, you know, we can't lose that. We can't lose it. I mean, it, it's killed production hubs around the, around the country, you know, that were making, you know, making films and, and TV series and stuff like that. So we have right now we have a film grant that ends at the end of the year. And then we're supposed to go back to. Uh, the tax incentive, the 25% tax incentives. COVID happened. We were doing, you know, three three television series here. And then all of a sudden COVID happened and they shut us down in, in March, 1st of March. Now we're trying to figure out what the new normal is because we're so on top of each other. How am I going to interact with people getting in my van how am I going to interact with people on set? How am I going to a- interact with people eating? And we're right on top. You know, we got craft service, which provides us snacks all day. And I can't just go on a on the craft service truck and get a snack now. You know, I can't have them make me a sandwich now. The answer to your question is be aware of, of everybody around you to keep yourself safe and keep them safe. And that's all going to be orchestrated by the production companies now. They're going to tell us how this is going to work. When I, get, when I start my job in a, in a month, I don't know what they're going to tell me. All I know is that I'm going to have a lot of hand sanitizer, a lot of disinfectant spray, and a lot of masks. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I hear you on that one. Yeah. So what, what role do industry professionals, especially veterans, uh, have to play in elevating young and upcoming voices, especially minority voices in the industry? First of all, and I, I speak for Wilmington, and I, speak, and I speak for the places that I have worked, Georgia, you, you can't be afraid to, to go and come to, to a, if you see a movie set and say, hey, how do I do what you do? Because there's going to be people like me and, I, and very few others. But if you come and talk to me, I'll talk to anybody that's interested in, in the business as a minority. But you have to see something in that person. And you have to come. You, you know how we are. You have to come correct. Yeah. Because yeah. for the most part, this is a white business. You, you have to come correct. Anthony Hemingway, I'm going to use his voice or use his name. You can look him up. He was the director for Red Tails. He started out as a 14, 15-year-old kid in production in the production office that his mother worked at. And he, this is what he wanted to do. And look where he is now. He's one of the biggest Black television directors there are. And he started at 14, and he's in his 30s. Well, 40s wow. now. I think he may be 40 now. But he he was doing his thing and they brought him along because he came correct. He was eager. He soaked up everything, you know, Mm -hmm. and I and I very rarely meet young 
black people that want to do that. They want to be Spike Lee right away. They want to be Will Smith. You know, they want to be Michael Jordan right away on the basketball court. They worked hard to get there. You have to work hard in this business. It's not going to be given to you. And when they give it to you, you have to be able to do right by it because they're not going to give you second and third chances. Right. Especially as us, as black people. And I get a lot of people that look out for me in, in the business. A lot of people that look out for me. Uh, so if you, sit there, if you sit there and watch in regards to basketball, you sit there and watch Stephen Curry's routine, his, his basketball routine, you're like, and try that. You're not going to shoot like him unless you put in that work. Same thing with film. You have to put in the work. Very true. So th- this brings me to my last question. With the current pandemic, obviously it has highlighted several areas in our society that were vulnerable in, at, at best and failed at worst. Uh, they also lined up with many of the objectives that you have in, same, in your same initiative. Has this clarified the mission for SAME, or has it set back progress that your organization was seeing? SAME is a social consciousness campaign that I'm instituting where, and the acronym for it is Socially Accepting Mankind Equally. We're all on this planet together. And COVID is, is a perfect example of it, is COVID does not, illness does not, disease does not discriminate. It will hit old, young, black, white, any color of the spectrum around the world thing, and we have to fight it all together. Uh, It doesn't discriminate against the rich. It doesn't discriminate against the poor. We've been, been told that it hits the black community because of one reason it hits there's a Hispanic community because of this reason, and and but they but they it's everybody. I've known white people, black people, old, young, Hispanic people, people that have died from from this disease. So that's why same my campaign is perfect for what's going on in today's world from a social standpoint, from a economic standpoint, from a political standpoint, it's a religious standpoint, and from a, every standpoint that you can put it, we're all the same, period. Well, thank you for sharing that and wish you all the best with that as well. And thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show really enjoyed the conversation and i appreciate all the insight that you were able to offer about the industry and everything else go ahead one last thing i want to say that hopefully in the next week i'll be launching the same campaign so look out for that we'll piggyback off of each other saying i really like what you're doing we need more young people like you and your your group that are interested in and doing what you're doing and, and learning and, and let, let's do our thing. Who knows, you, you know, Oprah may, may jump, jump on you. Hey, I like what this dude's doing. And then she, and she lifts you up. True. So. Yeah, man. Thank you again. Thank you again. Yeah. It's a pleasure. And listeners, you know, again, be sure 
to make sure you follow the same show on all of our social platforms. Uh, continue liking, sharing, and subscribing. You know, again, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.